Welcome to the Specify Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Tats Nakagawa of Castagra Products. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and construction industry. Today's guest is Gary Rockus. He's an award-winning author of Electronic and Smart Home Books for Workforce Development. So Gary, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to this evening. Yeah, you have a diverse uh, background, so I'm looking forward to sort of exploring it. So first thing I noticed is you start out in the electrical area, but not in the usual way. No, not really. It was kind of interesting as a teacher. You don't always make the big bucks. So I wanted to find some way in which to supplement my income. And because I was interested in doing some of the electrical work, people wanted antique lights rewired. They wanted special lighting in certain places. And back, you know, I'm 75. So if you go back uh, 45 years ago, uh, things were a little bit different and the codes and that weren't quite as tight. So you could operate. And quite honestly, the my union friends said, please do it. We don't have time to do it and we don't want to do it. So that led me into interesting relationships with a lot of key people in the town and uh, established a little higher social order, I guess. <laughs> Essentially, you're taking you know jobs that no one wanted, but they were custom and and unique. So you, you were able to use that to, to network with very influential people. Yes. And, uh, you know, I took skills that other people had, but they could make money doing other things. So they were more than complimentary to say, hey, please do this for me. It doesn't affect my income. In fact, it allows me to do my work better and, and satisfy my customer, which is always the important thing is to satisfy your customer. And it helped my income stream, too. Yeah, for sure. And then you, I guess, made your way into, I guess, some training and publishing. Is that correct? Well, that, again, there's kind of a unique path. I have friends that say I fall into things that come out smelling like a rose, but (laughs) it just happened. I was teaching at the uh, high school level and Illinois and the nation decided to develop vocational education which we can get in a whole topic about that because I I think we've lost sight of that today. But anyway, I taught at the high school and uh, people liked what I was doing. I did a typical shop, but I also did some of the technology. And the vocational school was being formed and the ag teacher became the director and said, look, I want you to be a teacher there. I said, whoa. I said, yeah, this is industrial stuff. I said, I'm pretty much in the residential. He said, I've got an advisory committee who will advise you on what you need. And I said, well, I'll meet with him. But I said, I, he said, well, you know how to teach, you know how to educate. What you need to know is what to teach. I said, okay. So I went with him and they took me around to the nuclear power plants. They took me through Caterpillar. They took me through the chemical plants. And I started seeing consistent pattern of here's what you need to know. And it wasn't the high-end stuff. It was the fundamentals. You know, when I, my electricians are working, put a plug on. Do this, do that. Get, do the work that they need as a fundamental skill, and we'll hire them. So I took 
their advice and they helped me build these trainers with, I was doing 220, three phase motor controls, very sophisticated. I had a key to turn it off. So, you know, safety. Then we built alarm system. We had a residential equipment and they wired a house. So they were doing all these great fundamentals. I worked out a relationship with a, a Illinois a University of uh, Southern Illinois University. If they went through my two-year course, they automatically got 16 hours college credit if they would go to a workshop. And then I brought the military in, I brought people in, and 95% of the students that went through my program ended up in some phase of electrical. So that ended up being very popular. And when I bought my equipment, I was very selective. And uh, at that point, Bill and Ed DeVry had uh, a business selling equipment. So I linked up with that group, work with them. And at the end of about three or four years, I was getting people coming from all over the country to look at my program. I didn't think it was that unique, but it was what would need to be done. So then a publisher came in and said, hey, we like what you're doing. Would you like to write some material? So I had gotten enough money from my little side jobs to take a year off and build a house and write a book. And it just happened that was the year that we adopted a four-day-old baby with a wife going to work. But other than that, those are side trips. So I went to work for this company toward the end of writing my book. And I was doing very well in sales. I sold like $300,000 worth of equipment. I'm thinking, wow, this is like 20% commission. I will pay off my house. I am set. I go to the guy and I say, look, I'm ready to come back to work. You know, I got to tell him that I'm going to go teaching. He said, well, you better do that because I'm bankrupt. And I went, yeah, but I got all this equipment that's going to be delivered in September. And, you know, well, I won't be in business by then. I said, I'll be right back. And literally, I went to my banker and I told him the situation. And I had this stuff all scribbled on paper. And I said, I think I can make something out of this. And they went, okay. And they lent me the $5,000 to get the guy through two months so I could collect the commissions. And within two years, I owned the company and built it into a four-state, 14-employee, couple-million-dollar corporation selling technology to schools, not only my equipment, but we brought the first CAD stations in. In fact, I helped Autodesk launch their program. We brought the first CNC tables. We brought in the uh, first, like I said, CAD, CNC, and robots. Uh, that led us to the be a Saturday scholar at the Museum of Science and Industry. And we were talking about how industry was going to be automated, you know, 30 years from now. And that turned out pretty good. Yeah. You're sitting there, your commission's on the line. At this point, I don't think you have any experience running companies. What made you think that you could do it? Like what was in your head? Well, what I had been doing all the time that I was teaching, people would come in and they'd ask me to do group presentations. So I'd go out and talk to them about what we're doing. And boy, we'd like to have that. We'd like to have that. So I kind of planted a seed that, you know, I would really like to go out and do that. But I didn't have a company or anything. So all of a sudden, this other situation arrived. And I went, okay, how difficult can it be? I sell electrical equipment. I could do this. So I jumped in. I used, by the way, I used to leverage my new house 
as leverage with the $5,000 loan and kind of went double or nothing. And I wor started working with the guy and I just seemed to be able to learn because after about three or four months, he, I said, boy, I said, I've, I've learned a lot. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, I didn't know anything. He said, you learned so fast. I didn't know you didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing I did, and I would encourage young entrepreneurs to do this. I did take one opportunity. They had a program going in Chicago where you could talk to an executive that had retired. And I've always used older people. I'm one of them now, but I uh, used them for advice. And I had one of the Florsheim brothers and he was giving me, you know, you do this, you do this, you do this. And I said, you know, that's all wonderful. I said, but you know, you come from a family that's wealthy and you know, obviously had the money to do it. And he looked at me, he said, damn it. He said, I didn't take a penny from them. I did it all myself and here's why I did it. <laughs> I went, okay, all right, now I'm listening. And then I bought a book and I think it's still out there. It's called The Greedy Bastards Business Manual. And it was the best thing I've ever read because it was a guy who ran corporations and he was not high and mighty. He said, if you're taking over business, who opens the door? Who has the key to your, you know, who closes it down at night? How to do a geometrical wizard of tax, tax avoidance angles. How to own a banker and finance anything. How to do a soft bailout. It was just wonderful little chapters on practical advice. And I think that's something every entrepreneur should recognize without a good, solid support system, you really are not going to go anywhere. So you wanna make sure you have you know, quality people, whether it's in banking, your accounting, your clerical people, and get them involved in your company. One of the things I did, and I'll, I may be going off target here, but one of the things I was very successful at is that as my employees came on board, I took them out when we unloaded the truck at the school. And I, whether you're in accounting or whether you're secretarial, they went out and unloaded it. Then they saw the billing process. They saw everything was going. But the most exciting part, because we sold technology labs where children ran to the labs and walked everybody else's classroom. And I would take them there after about the sixth week. And I said, look through that window. And you seen kids excited in that. And I said, that's what you do. That, that's your job. I think people need to understand what your company does and the impact it has and why they're an important part of that. And then quarterly, we'd get together and the salesman would talk to accounting, accounting would talk to other people, and they told her problems. I said, lay it out because she wants to help you because you need the help. And when she understands what you need, then you can get these problems solved. And it was just a very smooth operation. Now, it was a small company, but I think you can do that in larger groups and, and be successful. That's been kind of my game plan. Find smarter people than me, have them give me good advice, and then you actually use it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And you got into some real estate as well. That happened, I guess, after your company venture? Well, again, that started a little bit when I started doing some of the electrical work for other people. And I bought one or two little houses and traded them up. And then I had a little apartment building. And uh, I had a good friend by the name of Gene Funk. And he said, son, 
multiples, multiples. I said, what do you mean? He said, stay away from those single family dwellings. Get yourself a building with eight or 10 tenants, same roof, same electrical system, same plumbing, you know, and you split the cost. Well, about eight or 10 years later, a warehouse in our community came up with 80,000 square foot building. And everybody said, boy, that's a dump. And I went by it every morning. And uh, one day I was down in our, in our small community with the mayor and the fire chief and a few folks. And we're having a few, uh, <laughs> well, let's just say we were socializing at the local pub. I laughingly said, I think I'm gonna buy that and convert it into the Morris Business Technology Center. And I'm gonna have all these companies come in and we're gonna have an incubator and it'll be really great. I said, in fact, it'll be so famous that when people come to town, they'll say, where's McDonald's? And I said, it'd be right next to the Morris Business Tech Center. <laughs> and it was, but uh, anyway, a couple of days later, I got a call from these guys who were basically takeover artists and uh, they had bought it with the intention of selling off the inventory. And they did, they had 20 stories, they liquidated, put on federal marshals and they were not popular people. So I jokingly said, yeah, I'll buy it for a third of what you're asking. And interest rates were 18%. I got them down to nine. And the last thing that was really funny was that they weren't going to pay the realtor. So, and oh, before that, they said, well, we got to have some money down to show that you're sincere. And I said, okay, I'll give you $1,000. And they took it. And uh, before I was all done, the down payment was I paid the realtor. They gave me a loan and then I paid on that for two years till I got a credit rating for it. And then I went to a bank and took it over. And now it's a very successful technology center with 52 tenants. So like I said, I've been very fortunate to fall into and come out smelling like a rose. And, uh, you know what? I know, I know you think falling in, but there's more to this. I mean, have you ever reflected on what, what were some of the key things that you kind of do maybe without thinking that is kind of underlying that? Well, I've always, and my office manager always said, when I said my antennas were up, she goes, you know something. And I, and I did. I, I, I think I did risk evaluation very well, but it, I looked at opportunity. And what they say is, you know, if you don't meet opportunity with an approach to do something about it, it passes. This was something that just seemed right. And in fact, I my daughter was about eight at the time, and I'm walking her through this cold, dingy warehouse. And I laughingly said to her, I said, you know, we could we could make this a skating rink and the entire community could skate. And I said, what do you think? Should we buy it? And she went, go for it, daddy. And I did. Everybody thought I was crazy or loon, but pretty soon I put this obelisk out front, first tenant, second tenant, third tenant, and it took off. And the town had lost many jobs. Interest rates were 19%. But as soon as I did that, all of a sudden the Kroger store that was gone was bought by other people and they started developing it. There was a pill factory and Bass Pro Shop bought that. The town turned around economically within about 18 months and I got businessman of the year that year for the community. So sometimes it's just your gut tells you it's the right thing. I ran the numbers. I mean, you can't go in totally insane, but I figured out that even if I bought this thing, 
is setting between Colonel Sanders, McDonald's, and it's on the strip that's a major highway. It had to have land value in the future. Sure. Well, it took a while, but it did. And uh, I think the insight is to run your numbers, look at the opportunity, and then do something about it. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, like you said, antennas up, being able to spot the opportunity because, you know, you weren't the only one that was passing by this warehouse, right? You know, tons of people were going by it and then just not seeing it. And you were just curious enough to, you know, be, be able to explore it and follow through with it. And there's tons of these things around, right? If you're, if you're watching for it. Yeah. The other thing that was interesting was right next door was a restaurant, which was a disarray and they were running it into the ground. And, uh, I heard it was up for sale. And I also heard that a car wash wanted to come to town. So I went to my bank and I said, look at, I said, uh, I want to buy that restaurant. He went, you gotta be kidding me. He said, that's a dump. I said, I know, but I said, it's going into bankruptcy and I think I can get it for a good price. So I bought it. And four weeks later, I sold it to the car wash for what I paid for it and kept half of it for a parking lot. And, um, you know, again, but the, the one thing you have, you have to recognize, and I always do it, whether it's a bid or a job, what is the worst case scenario? You have to be prepared to take that. And if you're going double or nothing, it could be nothing. So be, you know, it's great to be entrepreneurial. It's great, but run the numbers, look at the worst case scenario. And if that's the worst case scenario, it looks good. Go for it, daddy. <laughs> well, you've published some books a bit more technical. And then your new venture is you're, you're going into the consumer or retail side of the education space. Uh, what was your thought here? Well, it was interesting because the one thing I noticed, our book, Electric Motor Controls, about 30 years ago when I wrote it, it was based on what I had done in my classroom and about the motor controls and all that. And the kids were doing all this work and I made these trainers so I wrote a book to support it, got a co-author, it was very good. And uh, I don't know, I have no idea how this happened, but the electrical union in Los Angeles and in Chicago got a copy of it. And probably my publisher sent it out to them. And they turned around and told the union they weren't gonna use their material anymore, we're going with rockets. Shocked, and they start buying thousands of copies. And over the last 25 years, we're in the seventh edition and we've we've sold hundreds of thousands of books. Uh, The company has been in business 108 years and this is the best seller they've ever had. So they've given me a little leeway to do a few things. So I took my residential wiring book that I wrote in 76 and I added a section on smart home technology based on what I learned from industry. And if you look back on what happened, the PLC, Program Logic Controller, which was really a computer, was dropped into the manufacturing facility. At that point, what changed the game wasn't the computers, but sensors. The fact that it could now begin to gather data that was impossible for a human being to do or process in the speed at which they could do it. So we, that was a core to our book with sensors and then input process and output. 
if you look at a smart home, every device in that smart home is an input, a process, and an output. What makes the difference is the middle part, the process. You know, you still talk to it, you still push a button, you still wave, but that may cause one thing to happen, which is to open a garage door, that's a smart device, or you push a doorbell and a camera comes on, it does some other things. So, and the cost goes up, the more process that takes place in between the input and the output. Thermostat being relatively simple, temperature, turn on the furnace. So when I finished the residential wiring book, I tried to promote that, but it was so heavy on the wiring that people didn't want to deal with it. So I said, go with me on this one. I want you to roll that off into another book and let me build on it and take it to the, to the community because they need it. And I went to a couple of seminars with Google and uh, all the uh, head sheds talking about where the future was and this and that. And I was sitting there thinking, guys, I know exactly what's going to happen. All these little industries out there are going to start building devices. And those are input devices that are going to control processes in the house. And then they're going to build those up and you guys are going to come and buy them up. So I'm going to start now finding out who these guys are, what they're doing, what the underlying technology is, what the process is gonna be in language, and then what the output's gonna be. So that's when I started building that. And uh, last year I brought it into final phase. But then I said, what makes difference? My difference is I believe in graphics. I had dinner one night with Bill Knight, a science guy after he did a really fantastic presentation, 800 kids were spellbound and silent as they watched his experiments. And we just talked a little bit and he said, well, he said, I kind of go to third grade level, but he said a lot of my audience, about 80% is adults. And I went, you know what? I've always written to the C student because if the average person can understand, A, B student just goes faster. So I've used that philosophy with the book and I pretend that someone's near me. And what I do is I, my 50% of the book is illustrations. And if you read under each illustration, you could almost read the book. But then I said, I need more than just visual. So I said, QR codes. We use them in the grocery store. We use them for a lot of things. So I put in the first couple of chapters, what is a smart bedroom? And I have an animation and you put your phone over the book page and it comes alive. Instead of little pop-ups, it's right there. And, and it goes, you know, in a smart bedroom, we could do this, we could do this. If you have a child that may be deaf or blind, we can have a vibrating pillow. We can wake them up and there's a blue light, so there's an intruder, there's a red light, there's a fire. And I try to get people comfortable with the terminology, whether they're looking to buy it, you need to talk the language. Mm. The biggest word in there is interoperability, which just means being able to communicate with each other, the components. And I tell people the other big word I know is delicatessen. And I came from a town of 500, and I didn't know what that was until I experienced it. So part of the book is experience it, begin to learn the terminology. So whether you want to do it yourself, hire it, buy it, 
you'll understand enough about what's going on to do an intelligent decision. Sure. I mean, in terms of uh, the technologies that are coming into the home, which ones you think are going to have the most productivity sort of benefits associated with them? Well, again, what I always look at is what is the need? You know, for, for a lot of people, they're very comfortable with the security system, you know, that they can walk away from the house and it tied into something. They like the, the doorbell. There's a sprinkler system that can be automated. So I think, you know, the first thing is, what is it that you need? Also, I work with a company, not a company, but an institute living in place that deals with aging and groups that are my age. What I'm losing abilities in certain things, and some have lost it faster. So look at everything from childhood to aging in place. What kinds of technology will help that group go forward? And like I said, you look at the bedroom, it's different. You know, there's things you want there, some for comfort, maybe lighting that's soothing. Maybe uh, when you go in the shower, you want lights and music. Uh, when you go in the in the bathroom or kitchen, if you've had problems with, you know, arthritis, maybe you want a, a faucet that's, uh, you know, touch screen, and not t- but touchless. So I really try to emphasize looking at each room. And at the end of each chapter, I say, go look smart bedrooms up. Look at HGTV, smart home. And then write down at the end of each chapter what you want in your bedroom. Then what do you want in your bathroom? What do you want in your kitchen? What do you want outside? Then is an individual process best? The garage door, yeah, you've been using it for years. Maybe you want to tie something in to tell you that it's open when you leave or you want to be able to close it. Well, if that's important to you, then you add that. But the most important thing is to go through it all and understand what you want to do. Then make sure they all talk together. And so you can start out with a few, but if you start out with a few that are different and then you try to put them in a system, you might have to scrap that. So the whole book is really for the individual to make their own decisions, know the vocabulary, and then look at the situation. And it's a large house, an apartment, rental. I deal with all that. Yeah. With sort of the uh, prevalence of uh, work at home, remote work and stuff like that, what are the most interesting technologies or integrations that you are looking at there? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the comfort, you know, and quiet. (laughs) I think people are starting to look at, you know, noise suppression software um, with kids running around, that type of thing. Lighting, you know, I've been playing with that. I think the other thing is your temperature and how you might deal with one room versus the other. And there's a lot of adaptations that you put into your system to allow you to shut off rooms or to cool one room more than another. I think it's environmental is the main thing that you want to look at. And the other thing that I do is I set little timers during the day. If I know that I've got a workshop coming up or a Zoom call, I set something for half an hour beforehand so that even if I'm engrossed in writing, ding, oh, all right, then I can make the transition from finishing 
to going into the mindset for the next part. So I think, again, it goes back to what do you want to do? The other part of it is now you're bringing some pretty heavy duty equipment in. How do you want to energy manage that? Mm. Do you need it on all the time? Uh, there's a lot of uh, devices that are ghost. Uh, <laughs> they take current and there's little devices you can buy now, a little plug, whether it's put into a power strip or just in the wall, plug your device in for 24 hours and monitor its current use. And you might say, hmm, you know, my fish tank, I got to keep on, but maybe my printer, I can shut it off. And so energy management is a, a key part of it. Communication is a key part of it. Yeah. I mean, you're plugging everything to it and you're integrating it. What are your ideas or thoughts on privacy or things like that? Be a nice person. <laughs> Don't screw around. It's going to catch you. It's a trade-off. You know, it depends on your lifestyle. You know, if you're a secret agent man, I think you probably want a little more security than most. But if you are, you know, shopping and looking at things, if you want that information to be shared so that you know and they'll help focus you, that's good. I tell people, I said, you know, Samsung and all those aren't making a smart refrigerator just to, uh, you know, impress you. Don't be surprised after a couple of weeks if you're using Campbell's soup that you might not get coupons for a competitor or a new ketchup <laughs> or something because they're gathering data. I mean, you know, while you're talking, I don't believe that they capture all that, but they do see patterns and algorithms that says, well, you know, you looked at this and the next day, hmm, I see there's an opportunity for that. So, you know, again, I think you also have to be very careful in the dissemination of information. And I think that's more important for young families. You know, I know my daughter is very careful not talking about when they're going on vacation, you know, the first day of school, you know, where and when, and those kind of things. But, you know, they do share information, but with a, a guard around it. So uh, that's a whole big area of, of concern. Another one is radiation. There's a lot of controversy around the phone and your smart meter. And only thing I can say about that is, unfortunately, we have to worry, not worry, but we are getting the information from our government as to some of the testing in that. And I think um, what I have found is that there, you can look at that information, but you also have to look at the practicality. If you've got that phone up here all the time, you're gonna get whatever maximum radiation it puts out. I tend to use a speaker phone. As long as the quality is there, it seems to work. When it comes to a smart meter, you have to recognize it faces out and generally there's a brick wall. There's a lot of stuff between it and the radiation does not necessarily come inward. And it's usually somewhere where you're not anyway. So yeah. now, walking outside and where the beams are and this and that, I mean, you can walk around with your, <laughs> I suppose you can find radiation with the Geiger counter, but <laughs> again, it's where you're at, what your concerns are, and then taking a, a logical approach to find out what's going to work for you. 
Yeah, absolutely, uh, Gary. And what's obvious to me is, um, I think you mentioned uh, maybe off air or earlier, um, you're 75, is that correct? Correct. And I mean, you've, and it's obvious to me, you've never stopped learning and constantly learning. So that's wonderful. I was always the kid in the back of the room with this hand up. <laughs> hey, hey, what about? <laughs> um, is there anything that I um, didn't ask you that you wanted to share? No, I just think that education is, is so important. In fact, I'll, I'll just put a little plug in for my wife because we work together in education. We both have gotten a national award of merit for vocational technical education. And we, and I'll say her, is launching a program in the next few months called Grants Made Simple. And we're going to show teachers how to write two and $3,000 grants to get supplies and material into the classroom. Because we think that's really where it breaks down uh, the average teacher right now is spending $750 of their own money just to keep up with supplies. And we want to bring imagination and innovation back. We're going to improve one child's life. We're not going to change it. We're, it may change, but we're going to improve it and improve the classroom. That's the only thing I'd like to share is it's an ongoing process to educate people. So Wonderful. Well, you mentioned before, always focus on why, right? Why you're yeah. doing something and the right. focus. So I love that, Jerry. I appreciate so much your your uh, your various and interesting story. Thank you for being on the show. Well, thank you for asking me. And I hope that it was informative and I did have some fun. Perfect. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening to the Specify Growth Podcast today. Make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash tats talks for video of today's podcast hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes this podcast is a part of the c-suite radio network for more top business podcasts visit c-suiteradio.com